Good evening. It's a new reality that we wake up in that after a European final in England, there have been fireworks in the sky and not up someone's backside. Welcome to the Talkie Taka podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the second episode which is often said to be the most crucial one. On the panel today we have Anirudh who's also known as Radha or Radha ji. How are you doing? All good, not so good because of the result this weekend but doing well. We are a support group any which way. Uh, continuing on that theme, Rant Man, Rant King, RK. Hey Swag, hey everyone. Next up, Ashwin. How are you doing? Hey Swag, uh, I've taken the last two hours to drown, drown in my sorrows after the uh, United-Brighton game, of course. Uh, but yeah, I'll get up for this. Helps to be living in Ireland for that. And finally, Aditya, AB, Ab, my fellow Chelsea mate, how are you? Doing very well, managing my mute button nicely. Uh, <laughs> good, good three points this weekend, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Cool. So let's get started. Just before we get into the first game week, uh, does anyone have any thoughts about England actually managing to win a football tournament? What can I say? It's finally come home, right? Uh, what a what a what a tournament we have had, Swag. Uh, the women's Euros, I think, lived up to its billing. Uh, some really great moments. Uh, sold out Old Trafford. Uh, Eighty-seven thousand fans in Wembley. Uh, Russo's back heel goal, uh, France not winning again. Like uh, it was probably it was just an incredible tournament uh, to watch. And what I really like about this one is, uh, although I may sound biased a bit, the fact that England won uh, the tournament means a lot to a lot of people because England, as you know, is where the money is, right? Uh, um, we have seen the likes of Lyon and Barcelona dominate the Champions League. Uh, but the, the WSL is still not there when it comes to when it comes to actually competing in the European uh, European League. So uh, this this does a lot for women's football in England. Um, uh, Radha, I don't know if you have anything else to add there, but for me it was an incredible tournament. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you called the the goal. I think the goal of the tournament, the back heel, it was outstanding. But Ella Toon's goal in the final. Uh, a, a superb pass from the centre-back through the lines and a chip. It was a bouncing ball. I don't know whether she meant it exactly as it was, but it was a beautiful chip. It, that, that should have won the tournament for me. It was an outstanding goal. But the entire tournament, there were so many moments and England, I think, dominated this tournament. They were number one on goals, assists. I think they were they ranked in the top two in every meaningful metric. Passes, pass completion, tackles, anything that you can think of. I think England dominated the tournament. And there was so much stuff stuff off the field as well. If they were the home team, uh, after every game and before every game, Sweet Caroline. There was a beautiful video of a little girl dancing to Sweet Caroline. And at, at the end of the tournament, after scoring the winner, Chloe Kelly is at actually pitch side doing an interview. And she cut short her interview and started singing Sweet Caroline. It was, it was just outstanding in so many ways. It had so much more impact in the larger scheme of things. So I think women's football, the fact that the final happened the same weekend as the Community Shield, it pushed the Community Shield to the backbench. The best match was held at Wembley. I think that was beautiful. Um, and in terms of the impact, attendance, 87,000. Ashwin didn't mention it, but this is the highest attendance at a Euro game ever, men and women. The last highest was 79,000 in 1969 in a Spain versus Soviet Union game. So this is like groundbreaking stuff. 
and it's a trend that's pointing in the in a certain direction right the the top 3 european games in terms of attendance have been women's games barcelona versus wolfsburg barcelona versus real madrid and now this game the top 3 in europe in 2022 are all women's games i think that's all pointing in the right direction and just a shout out to the the coach sarina weigman uh, they played outstanding football i think as a football fan we want england to do well but the men's team has never really excited us but sarina weigman and this england team oh my god they were outstanding to watch i think she's on her way to making a goat argument she's got a statue in the dutch fa's headquarters alongside the likes of johan cruyff gullit rijkaard van basten van der sar and she's the only woman there so she's a legend in the making and This tournament has been great. I think I hope there's going to be a lot more eyeballs on the women's game going forward. It looks like uh, we've woken up in a new alternate reality where England are holding champions in both a cricket tournament as well as a football tournament. Probably this puts an end to the it's coming home chance for a while, but uh, let's see. Getting down to the review of the first game week. Uh, excited uh, we've had our first 10 games and it's been pretty hectic i would say we've uh, we've realized that arsenal are going to be champions because of course i mean nothing beats what they did against uh, crystal palace rather jesus caught your eye i think with his performance absolutely all through the preseason i was excited to watch arsenal and particularly gab jesus play or gab jesus as i like to call him he looks like a man unleashed but for me the moment of the game was in the first half where he the ball came into him and he played a back flick the flick went to an opposition player but immediately after that i think he had the run of the game he just ran past six different defenders and then got a shot off which was blocked it was just pure excitement but the fact that he took the flick on that's that for me is the difference in jesus at arsenal versus jesus at city at arsenal i get the feeling that he's really the top player and and it's exciting to watch because he's got that samba flair that we all love to see another one saliba really impressed me honestly like i said last episode as well i was wondering why the hell they're signing new center backs when they have a guy called saliba send him off to on loan and stuff like that he was outstanding i think he was the standout player of the game probably the most tackles of the weekend i haven't seen the stats but he must be right up there he was superb he won the man of the match as well right absolutely I, he was he was just superb i have not seen much of him but honestly from i used to think gabriel and ben white were good but saliba really really strong start and if this is the way things are going i think arsenal are really strong position is i think one of the things uh, that i noticed about arsenal as compared to last season was uh, uh, you know their increased verticality uh, they were pressing higher up and they were attacking faster as well but i think one thing to watch out for with respect to arsenal right after the first 35 minutes they kind of lost control they didn't do those things which they were doing earlier in the match as well and that is one of the things that they need to watch out for the intensity was still there but gaps were opening up they were you know uh, uh, between the different lines as well so that uh, you know maintaining control over 90 minutes is very important and that's a good measure of how they are progressing but having said that away game to crystal palace it's a tough one getting a professional tunnel result is not a bad way to start the season just a note on crystal palace joachim anderson i think one of the few guys who escaped thomas frank's net at brentford uh, one of the few danish guys but very good performance i thought uh, both defensively and especially on the ball very good uh, you know long raking passes that was that seemed to be a very clear strategy from palace to find their forwards through uh, you know those uh, raking passes and try to direct uh, uh, you know be very direct 
uh, through those. Right. Yeah, Arsenal was were pretty good, and um, yeah, Anderson deserves respect for the way he played. Any thoughts, RK, on uh, the Spurs game? Another of your challenges for top four. I mean, they impressed as well, even though they went behind pretty quickly to a rare James Ward-Prowse goal, which wasn't from a set piece, but uh, they came back pretty well. Yeah, I think uh, in the in our preview episode as well, right, I think most of us were bullish about Spurs and uh, I especially had talked about Spurs. I, for me, they're a top three team right now and they kind of proved it. Their front three are probably, you know, uh, when we talk of the uh, most synchronous attacks, uh, they would be right up there at this moment, even though they're only... You know, the, as a frontline three, they uh, you know they are less than six months old, but very impressive performance from uh, Kulusevski, I thought. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, they showed that game smartness which you associate with uh, you know Antonio Conte as well. After getting the three nil, uh, you know the uh, like the three one lead, uh, the four one lead, they kind of you know started sitting back and then countering. So you know that you know this team is is a real presence, and while they may not immediately challenge the top two, but Definitely, uh, Conte has told his fans to dream. Yeah, and with uh, Kulusevski and uh, Richarlison both being a younger profile as well, this should uh, bode well for them going forward as well. But just having said that, right, uh, like, uh, this is a very, I think it was a very easy start for Spurs. Uh, We talked last season, first, uh, you know, game week about United, uh, they beat Leeds 5-1. I don't think Spurs will go anywhere down that route. They are here to stay, but... That's also something to consider. I think one thing that was really foreboding for me was the amount of space and the chances that uh, their left-back got. And Perisic has been signed to play that position, who we all know is a real danger. And, of course, a winger in his in his heyday. Just thinking about the space that that left side had and Perisic walking into that space um, in the box... It's going to be really difficult for other teams to go. Both well for uh, Spurs' future prospects. You wish Liverpool had played that way this game week? Uh, absolutely. I mean, let me just start this entire thing by saying it was absolutely the fair result. Um, we were nowhere to be found. Uh, we were nothing compared to where we were last season against Man City in the Community Shield. It was a really disappointing day and a fair result. That said, both of Fulham's goals were questionable. On the first goal, there was a clear foul on Henderson in midfield before they went ahead and scored. And in the second goal, I was shocked when I saw that it's very unlike Virgil van Dijk to make a mistake like that in the box. And having seen the replays, I think Virgil van Dijk puts his leg out, he brings it back. And then Mitrovic sticks his leg out and hits him and then falls down and gets the penalty. I feel like Liverpool could feel heartened by both goals. That's not to say that they should have got anything more from the game. They, the draw was a perfectly good result. I should feel really disappointed. I should feel really angry uh, because we've dropped two points and this is exactly where I don't want to be, chasing Man City in the first game week of the season. But I'm not that unhappy because when, when Darwin came on, I think the game really changed. The fact is, we became a totally different team Darwin was getting into spaces. Uh, Mo Salah was running down the wing and putting early balls in. I think it is really exciting for us as fans waiting for this partnership to kind of develop. Um, in 39 minutes, I think he had the most XG by far in the game. He had a 1.6 XG more than pretty much everybody else combined. And he got an assist and a goal to finish off with. And if Mo Salah keeps going down the right foot and putting crosses in, I think people are going to get 
a little uncomfortable with which way he's going to go and they're going to start letting him cut back into his left and we all know what, what that's going to lead to. So overall, there's a lot to be excited about because this is a dimension of attack that Liverpool have not had. And uh, I also wanted to remind you, Radha, of what you said last week about a certain uh, Mr. Alexander Mitrovic. Any follow-up comments or anything up you want to reply to that? You remember what he said last week? Fulham is doomed. I should have put Fulham in my relegation candidates just for the fact that up to Mitrovic is drowned. It's, it's, a, it's a done deal. Fulham are going down. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, see, I have nothing against Radha. It's just that uh, every alternate year, Mitrovic makes his way into the Premier League. I inevitably pick him in my fantasy team and he scores four goals. Usually all before September, October and then doesn't score anything after that. That could still happen this year. But uh, the, just the way he played against Liverpool, I was very impressed. He seems to have gone up a gear or two. And uh, I'm looking good now for my uh, 15 goals. 20? 25? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, here's hoping that's 5 and not 15. But let me just say, he he's, he was absolutely the man of the match. Like, he was clearly the man. He dominated the game. He even made Van Dyke look like he was in a bit of trouble multiple times in the game. He dominated Rob, Rob, Robertson in terms of pace, in pace and strength. But let's be clear, he's a bit of a diver, isn't he? Surely, surely rather, that's because of the dry pitch, isn't it? Yeah, it was too dry. Come on. <laughs> Club, rightly put it. <laughs> yeah, so, so I mean, he says these things. It's one of 10 things he says and people like to pick on these things. I, I can't say whether a dry pitch or a wet pitch is good. I really don't know. But uh, but yeah, I mean, to each his own. There was a picture of uh, from the Fulham social media, social media handle, right? Where... Uh... Post-match, they had put a picture of the pitch getting watered and they said, look how lush it is. <laughs> Ab, uh, on, on that note, coming to Chelsea, uh, scraping through a 1-0 win away, making chances, not taking them, sounds familiar? Yep. Um, with the difference that last year when this sort of thing happened, we didn't get the three points. Uh, when we played this badly, I mean. I think no amount of watering on the pitch could have made us look good yesterday. Um, uh, that said, some few bright sparks. Some of the new signings were fantastic. Sterling, I thought, played really well. He, you know, uh, I think he took a leadership role in that attack. Like, often Havertz and Mount were sitting back. They were not, you know, really getting involved a lot. Sterling went after the ball. He tackled. Uh, he pressed. He got the ball back. He passed it, moved it around. That was impressive to see. Uh, Chelsea were, you know, not very good. Uh, I would imagine that we will get better. We have to, uh, considering who we are facing next week. Uh, I do want to call out Kukurela, who played pretty damn well for the 20 minutes or so that he was there. He looked like easily the best player on the pitch in that uh, uh, in that short period of time. So yeah, I mean, uh, it was it reminded me of one of the old Mourinho Chelsea performances where some someone gets into the bar, gets a penalty, we win and go back to London. Right? It felt like one of those matches. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, looking forward to next week. And um, quick note on Everton, they were absolutely dire. They were absolutely dire yesterday. And uh, I know they're missing Calvert-Lewin. They've lost to Charleston. I don't know if any of you guys have any thoughts on Everton specifically or if you saw the match. But uh, they re- And they lost Yeremina and uh, Godfrey to injuries, right? So, 
it's you know it feels like a relegation dogfight halfway into the first match of the season already for everton yeah i'm going to be careful because i don't want to be painted as the anti everton guy here but too um, late for that i i know you said that they were dire <laughs> i i know you said they were dire and they were i guess in on balance but in the first half before uh, chelsea got their act together there was i think chat on our group as well that hey everton are looking pretty good much better than i expected but the fact is they didn't create much and i think they ended with an xg of 0.5 and even there even then let's assume that they created i don't see who's going to finish things off with calvert lewin injured that front three does not inspire confidence at all and i'm worried for everton genuinely and as i know that as a liverpool fan it sounds uh, weird but i actually like everton i i have never had any ill feelings towards everton because i'm not from liverpool i don't i don't care about the local rivalries that much and things like that but i actually have always enjoyed everton and i think they're in real danger this season i don't see who's going to score goals and with Cal- even with calvert lewin because of his injury played season last season i was in a bit of doubt but without him i think they're in real danger they have these exciting ish players but it doesn't lead to much and i don't see who's going to score the goals i think they're in big trouble you can't count on rondon and ibobi that's surprising anyhow uh, i would also like to call out kulibali who also had a impressive debut uh, he he had to go off uh, because of cramps but uh, he uh, did a good role as well the one thing that he would have probably not expected would have been that in the three center backs that played for chelsea yesterday uh, he would be the youngest so <laughs> so that's probably telling of our bench strength but um, anyway let's see what next week brings uh, RK we've had a game today and uh, frankly i think it was gross what are your thoughts on that yeah i think there must be some guy on fpl who would have made a gross captain right and like triple captain or whatever you call it and he must be having the day of his life but uh, you know coming to united i think uh, it was it was a poor performance it was not something that we expected uh, coming into a you know first game of the season at old trafford uh there were a few issues uh like while you cannot ascribe too much to one performance but i think there uh, like there has been one issue that has been troubling me from pre season and that is uh this right space half uh like uh, you know the right sided number 8 who's occupying that half space on the right which is mctominay he's he, he didn't really uh, he wasn't really able to get on the ball in pre season and he seemed to have the same issues today so i don't know if that strategy from ten hag is really taking shape or it at least is troubling me as to what's mctominay's role in the team is because he clearly doesn't trust him to build from back and when he is pushing him up front he's not really able to dictate the game uh, from there as well i think the pressing also suffered uh, because of the false nine and there was a bit of confusion seemed to be a bit of confusion around who should be you know doing or who should be leading the press but i think that is something that will get sorted out at least when marshall plays if not ronaldo and uh, and i think it's visible to ten hag also you know the kind of issues that can come fred is a has been a good player over the last season but he's not really the most consistent player especially when you put him in the number 6 so uh, and one more thing is you know we have become used to this tendency of uh, you know this falling pack of card syndrome on transitions like when someone makes a mistake and then you see uh, you know the pack of cards falling and that happened on both the goals today so there are a lot of things to i mean work on a lot of things to be disappointed about but 
yeah i mean we go on to next week that's all we can do i think yeah i, I think it's obviously too early to um call for eric ten hag's head right uh, it's the first first game of the season and uh, we we had a really we had a really we had a really good preseason and uh, obviously the confidence was running sky high and we were hoping for something much more in this game that unfortunately did not happen uh, as rat uh, rk uh, mentioned it really well that we we really miss that number 8 uh, we really miss someone who can take the ball from the defenders push through and pass it to the attackers uh, it's something that we have been crying out for the last 3 years or you know more than i can i can i can remember really and explains why um, eric ten hag wants to go for frankie de jong as well yeah let's let's wait and see it's the first first game of the season uh, uh, it, it, like as ten hag said we have to trust the process we have to we have to believe in the team as well but we we are running against uh, time already uh, your fans will get frustrated very soon uh we have we haven't particularly performed very well in the transfer market uh we wanted a striker we wanted a we wanted a uh defensive midfielder we wanted a backup right back we wanted pretty much the whole team right uh, and we did not we did not we did not end up uh getting the signings that we wanted so yeah uh, let's see fast forward to brentford and hopefully we'll have a better game then uh the other thing i think that i did uh, since i this was one of the three or four games that i watched intently this weekend i do want to give a shout out to brighton at one point like when they were leading and you know mcdomney and fred were trying to pass them uh, close them down they try to you know they do these passing triangles and they're like easily able to play through that press i know some of it, it comes down to the quality of the press itself but i think they have superbly drilled they're able to just play their way out of it and then they find well back and then you know uh, trossard and these guys get involved and they have a forward uh, action going on so i you know you know for a team that has lost bisuma kurela two guys who are guaranteed starters i think there's almost nothing that's uh, you know they look still the same bright as they did last year well drilled uh, and you know well back maybe he can breeze past everyone like he says one thing i really like about brighton which uh, even from the past is how they build uh, you know those overlaps on one side uh, like uh, someone from midfield uh, you know overcompensates on that side and they suddenly have a numerical superiority and then they cross the ball it's something they always seem to do yeah, so I well yeah um, yeah great point okay i think um, one of the greatest managers of all time pep guardiola as our friend tsk would like to call him um, said it uh, said this about brighton right it's a graham potter team like he really values how well they play how well they drill um, they win the ball back the moment they lose it and they know who to pass and when to pass it so let's give brighton the credit as well um it was it was an absolute shit show from united agreed but brighton played really well yeah i think honestly in my opinion for the last couple of years he's been easily the best manager out of the top rung of managers in the league and every time a job opens up i've been thinking why not potter like it's it's been i, I mean brendan and prop potter he is, seems ready to take over a higher profile job absolutely so when before arteta was maybe everton you know i said high profile but but anyway but before uh, before arteta took over arsenal 
there was a gap where it, like honestly between Brendan Rodgers and Graham Potter there was there was a shout you could they both of them could have had a shout for that job so there's a huge amount of potential um, that Brighton are not making the most of and I think Potter needs to move on to see yeah and uh, let's see how that goes uh, we could also spend some time talking about Haaland but I suspect we'll have a lot of chat about him throughout the season given the way he performed today and the comfort level that he seemed to have uh, in the game no one's going to be talking about the community shield and that he looked off color or he didn't seem to be scoring let's see we I think we'll have a lot of chat about him uh, going forward I have a head scratcher for you guys uh, what do you think is the highest number of London clubs who've been playing in the Premier League in a given season? Okay, so in one particular season, highest number of London clubs. In fact, I'll give you two questions. Uh, one number for the Premier League and one number for the erstwhile first division. So two answers. And uh, bonus points if you can name the teams for the highest number. Think about it. Uh, we'll talk about it later. That would actually move us on nicely to our uh, next topic of discussion, which is about the clubs in London who are aspiring towards the top four. Uh, We've obviously talked a lot about how Spurs have done well, Arsenal doing the business, Chelsea also got the points. Uh, Ab, uh, what do you think about the prospects of Chelsea as a whole this season? Yeah, they don't look too bright, but they do look brighter than before we got Kukurela, Kolibali. Uh, I think there was a time in between where we had only Sterling come on board and Tuchel was very unhappy. That was also the time where, of course, uh, you know, Kunde and Rafinha ditched us in the last minute. So, um, I think, you know, I do think Chelsea will make top four, maybe fourth. Uh, uh, you know, and that's given the fact that Spurs look good. Arsenal are definitely improved, um, uh, but you know I think maybe it's my bias that comes out. You know, it's Spurs are Spurs and Arsenal are Arsenal, so they'll find a way to screw <laughs> it up. So uh, yeah, so I think I'm you know, quietly confident. I think Chelsea will get fourth um, uh, at the at the very least. Right? I don't know if you guys had any other thoughts. And uh, do you think um, any more signings? Realistically, we can expect we've been hearing about De Jong potentially coming in, stuff like that. Do we really think there's something that's going to be happening? Any more entries? So, I think we will get two more players, um, uh, and we will lose two more players. Uh, and I mean, when I said lose two more players, I'm talking about you know first team guys who were first team players last year. So Marcos Alonso is on the verge of going out. Timo Werner will head back to Leipzig. Um, and we, I expect we will get either one forward-looking midfield player uh, or a striker, and we will get one defender. And you know, Chelsea are trying hard for those two players right now to be either either a Sesko and a Fofana or a FTJ and a Fofana. Uh, but I don't know where that's going to end up. Um, I do think we'll get someone. Uh, but I do anticipate also it will go till the end of the window. 
but just talking about the forward line right uh, like how big a benefit is it going to be that timo werner is now following lukaku out the door i'm sure that up uh, you know had some firecracker show today at his place up swag what do you think i mean uh, i can't fault the guy's work rate he's always given his best of course uh, that hasn't translated into goals it has probably translated into the highest number of overturned goals in the last 2 years but um, it would be a significant impact on the budget as well as the wage bill so so in that sense it's good because what we have already realized that he's not going to be playing a significant part in the season any which way he was being considered as a make weight when we were looking at the delight deal with uh, juventus he was uh, also offered elsewhere as well and juventus were apparently still interested the fact that he's decided to go back to germany bodes well probably he's going back to his uh, comfort place i would love to see him do well uh, he's uh, he's a good lad but unfortunately didn't work out but that's 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 okay we can live with that another thing that i would just like to highlight before we move on is that uh, we've had uh, stuff going on at the back end uh, at chelsea because of the sanctions and all so coming into the season we have had quite a lot of uh, disruption so uh that has also had an impact i mean leaving us in a situation where as i mentioned koulibaly played as the youngest center back yesterday so uh, that also has to be taken into consideration uh hopefully i think uh, once we have more things in place we have a new owner who's also learning on the go hopefully we've still got uh, three weeks to go before the window closes uh, let's see maybe something else comes in as well ab mentioned uh, spurs being spursy RK you've been a proponent of Spurs this season um, you want to counter what he was saying you th- you think Kulusevski is the best thing since sliced bread look united fans know all about spursy right because that was like ferguson's favorite uh, you know pre match uh, like motivation talk it was just one uh, you know three words lads it's spurs but uh, you know leaving that aside uh, i think uh, the identity of a club and a squad is uh, shaped by the manager right and uh you don't get anything as away from you know spursy as antonio conte probably so uh i think the the strength of character and uh that uh, you know that that uh, that force of character that he brings to any side that he manages uh that's definitely uh something which will uh be a huge factor for them we already talked about their front three i i think uh, they have good depth across positions not just in the front line they still have richarlison to uh, you know play for them midfield they played with hoiberg and bentancur but uh, seems to, he seems to have a good amount of trust in oliver skip bisuma we have not seen yet uh, they seem to be well stocked in defense as well i think they uh, spurs need to mainly watch out uh, for i think what they need to mainly watch out for is how teams will adapt to them like i think once teams start adapting to them and maybe uh, you know not committing so many men against them and trying to cancel them out then it will be interesting to see what spurs do i think that is one big banana skin to watch out for because uh, they don't seem to be the most proactive side in the league but that would be interesting to find out yeah i think one another dimension to potentially add to this is uh champions league right uh, how uh, how that would play into their minds as well uh, spurs are somewhat of a yo-yo club in the sense that uh, they they qualify for the champions league then they drop out to the europa league then they qualify for the champions league again they go into the champions league final and then calamity happens 
Um, I know I mentioned that twice uh, in the space of two parts, but Spurs, Spurs are always a moment away from calamity, right? <clears throat> um, but this season, they seem really strong. They have made some incredible signings. Uh, it seems like everyone apart from United seems to be make, making some incredible signings. Um, I really like Kuliseski as as a midfielder. I, I think you, Juventus were wrong in letting him go as well. Um, he was he was one of the standout players um, in the in the lockdown season, and I don't know why they would let him go. But like happy days as a Spurs fan, um, and and they in in Richarlison, Son, and Kane, they probably have one of the most formidable front three. Uh, that you can potentially put uh, put over there. Um, so yeah, uh, Spurs definitely looking at top three, potentially top two as well. If one of City or Liverpool uh, slip up, the point on uh, uh, you know the Champions League is important. Technically, Spurs have never invested so much in depth that it has taken them far in multiple competitions. Uh, this time you could say they have done that right to some extent, uh, especially in the Bisuma and Perisic signings. Um, yeah, I think and you know and I don't know if we've got talking about Arsenal just yet, but Arsenal also have the Europa League this year. Last year they had absolutely no European competitions at all. So I think the only thing left to be seen is you know uh, what these two clubs can do when they have match every midweek. Yeah. And- can I just mention that uh, I would like to take uh, negotiation skills lessons from Antonio Conte. I mean, the only person who's managed to get Daniel Levy to spend so much money. I mean, he deserves a medal just for that. But yeah, as uh, Ab said, um, in fact, we've this is a historical occasion because you've actually had a listener of the pod get in touch and say that you guys have been too bullish on Arsenal, but you're forgetting that they're going to have Europa League next season. And in the last six or seven years, apparently only uh, Sari and Ole have managed to get into the top four uh, while playing in the Europa. So that's that's something that uh, we have to consider. Rather, you've been very bullish on Arsenal so far. Uh, do you think they have enough of uh, squad depth to be able to take that on? Absolutely. I think um, they've got enough squad depth. I think they have a lot of players. I don't know whether they're all first team caliber players. I think they have a six different attackers that they can use. So I think they have people they can use in the Europa League. And if they don't, if it doesn't work out, then or damn, right? But but they will have a strong enough team to make uh, something work in the Premier League. I think that's going to be their number one focus. And if if the Europa League happens on the side, then great. I think a couple of things about Arsenal's depth. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, I, th- I think they are well stocked in uh, uh, like quite a few positions at the start of the season. But uh, you know, going into uh, into a season with uh, you know Zaka, Partey, Elneny, and Lokonga in your six and eight, I don't really see a you know big backup there for uh, you know Partey. I think Zinchenko to some extent will fill in for uh, he has the capability of filling in for Zaka. But Partey getting injured might be something that Arsenal miss. One more thing that really worries me about Arsenal is, you know, the way they imploded at the end of last season. I think they had an eight or nine point lead. I'm, you know, even now I'm intrigued by, you know, what caused that. And that fragility, whatever is there within their squad when they were playing one game a week, I don't know what is there in their makeup, but that that is something which should, which should worry Arsenal fans, uh, you know, whether that repeat of that will happen. 
Yeah, and, um, as you said uh, about the squad depth, where um, if you look at the center forward position as well, we have Jesus, and quite a lot of stuff is going through him. Um, what? Who do they have after that? Martinelli, they would prefer not to play in the number nine. Then technically, you're looking at uh, Nketia as their uh, second striker. Going into a full season, and you never know. Uh, the World Cup is in between, in the middle of the season. If Jesus gets injured, then it it might be uh, tough for them. But I did hear uh, today itself that uh, they've been given the green light to try and negotiate for uh, Musa Diaby to get him in from Germany. So probably um, they have also been thinking on similar lines. And uh, let's see how that ends up. Uh, anyway, uh, another team that's been Near or nearabouts is West Ham, but we don't need to talk about them. Haaland has basically just broken them. They don't have any resolve left. But on a serious note, uh, they did lose Fabianski today. So that might be a key thing. Let's see how Ariola fits in. He came on and within three or four minutes, he had given away a penalty. So um, those are the London clubs who are basically trying for top four. Um, rather, uh, any other clubs who are uh, aspiring towards the other end of the table. Just, I, I just have to mention, because I think we got a, it's, we are new to this podcast game and I think we've all got a big slap to our faces. Um, Fulham drawing at Liverpool and Brentford with a pretty respectable draw against Leicester. I, Brentford was in my relegation uh, Recommend like I call Brentford for uh, for relegation, and I think most of the rest of the pod called Fulham for relegation. So I think a big punch in the face slash slap in the face for uh, by these two London clubs to all of us in the pod at least. Yeah, and um, the relegation battle often brings along with it, uh, unfortunately, sackings of uh, managers. Uh, and any thoughts on who's going to be the first to be let go? I mean, the bookies are uh, calling for Frank Lampard, but uh, he did do slightly better than expected yesterday. But his hands also seem to be tied. My uh, my vote is still for uh, Jesse Marsh. I mean, I have to live and die by the sword I, I picked. So even though they've won yesterday, I'll, I'll still go with uh, Jesse Marsh. You guys have any other names to throw in? Awesome hotel. I think uh, that would be mine. Yeah, I think uh, the other only only other candidate that comes close is Lampard. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Lampard. Uh, uh, I call them to be relegated as the la- the third spot of relegation. So much love from a Liverpool fan for Everton in any form See, and shape. Again, I'm gonna just clarify. I like Everton. They're a good club. I mean, I don't have anything against them. I I used to like watching Tim, ex- except when he scored against us. I used to like watching Tim Cahill. I'm 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 not a Everton hater, but I do think that the squad is okay. Let Let's put things into perspective, right? Just a few years ago, they were lining up with James Rodriguez, Dominic calvert Lewin. They had Moise Keane that they signed from Juventus. And and last last night, the team that they started with is pretty unheralded, right? So, I'm things have changed at Everton. I think Moshiri is finally realizing that there's no bottomless pit of money. I think he's uh, being a bit more pragmatic. I think that's going to have an impact. A 100% hit rate so far for Lampard to be working with Russian oligarchs. Anyway, um, Ashwin, RK, you have any names to throw into the mixer or... You're happy with what we've got so far? Uh, I'm I'm gonna go a bit left field and say maybe Brendan Rogers as well. 
Um, I think ever since Brendan Rodgers was linked with United, he has been on a downward spiral. Uh, they drove at Brentford again today. Was it today? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think it's a wait and watch situation. But I think if I if I have to throw in a name, it, it'll be Brendan Rodgers. Good thing we're recording all of these for posterity, and people can point at us and laugh later on. Right. So, uh, Ab, um, how about you start us off uh, talking about Game Week 2 with the blockbuster event of the Game Week, which is, of course, Chelsea Spurs. Yeah, I think it's uh, going to be Chelsea's first proper test of the season. Um, normally, you know, uh, Chelsea at home to Spurs been pretty comfortably. I think Spurs have won at Stamford Bridge one in, once in 30 one years or 32 years so um, normally that's an easy victory but I think this week or this game might be different Spurs are uh, flying high they got the wind on their backs Chelsea it's difficult to gauge the level of confidence in the team right now Uh, they seem more happy to finish the game than to necessarily play well yesterday so we will see um you know, I'm hoping we have a great atmosphere at Stamford Bridge and that helps Chelsea get over the line. Yeah, not much different from what I've said. I think it's going to be a really, really tough game. I think given the way that the first the preseason as well as the first few games of first game has gone, I think Spurs should be in with the chance of getting the points um next week. Um it's it's going to be tough for, for Chelsea to beat this team, I think. Does anyone actually think that Tuchel's men can pull something off here? Yeah, de- definitely at home, uh, you know, anything is uh, possible, right? I don't think Spurs are outright favourites at this moment. They're, we are only one match into the season. We still have to learn a lot more about all the teams. Definitely, it's going to be a really uh, spicy encounter and Chelsea fans can rightly expect their team, uh, you know, to do well in the match. I'm actually looking uh, looking forward to playing Palace um, next week. I think Liverpool versus Palace. That should be a, a interesting one. I found them absolutely dreadful at set pieces, and I'm excited because we are historically uh, not historically well for the last few years a really strong set piece team. So I think that should um, give us some joy. Um, at the first goal uh, that Arsenal scored against Palace was an absolute joke. Uh, Zinchenko just ran in with there was nobody within a kilometer of him in either direction and he headed it right into the box and Martinelli scored so I'm I'm just looking forward to a similar situation with Van Dijk or Matip on the on the end of one of those crosses and Nunes should start this game I suppose yeah I think so I think the experiment uh, that they had it's we all expected Firmino to start the season but I think he was very, I think the entire team was poor, but I think Firmino particularly was not involved in the play at all. I think Nunes will start next week. Yeah, let's wait and watch. Uh, RK, uh, Brentford away. What needs to change to get those three points? Look, we have been through a lot of seasons where we knew the team is not really doing well. Started off with, you know, even good wins and it's unraveled soon after that. So I think it's better to start from rock bottom. I think it it should be better than today. Yeah, just a quick comment on uh, United playing Brentford away. Uh, I think it's probably the one team that you would want to play after uh, after after a loss. Uh, uh, last season as well, uh, 
Brentford Brentford was the team that we were very very much comfortable against playing. So I think uh, Brentford is potentially the the best game that we could have hoped for after this loss. And it's the return of uh, Ericsson to Brentford as well. I think that would be an interesting interesting thing to watch out for. Uh, what I'm also looking at is what changes Eric Ten Hag makes to the team, uh, whether that's in the sh- in, in the form of the formation or the or, or the players playing in that formation, whether McFred, uh, as we like to call them, start or does he tinker around with that? I think it will be really interesting to watch that as well. Somehow, I whenever I hear McFred, I'm reminded of a burger. I don't know why, but um, <laughs> any anyway, anything uh, from Arsenal, Leicester, Leicester don't seem to be inspiring that level of confidence in anyone. Does this look like a straight uh, three points for Arsenal then? Potentially, right? Because uh, uh, potentially, because I, I I think there's definitely one team was was on the up in Arsenal and another team uh, where where the where the atmosphere isn't the most uh, positive, I would say. Leicester haven't made any signings. Uh, they, we are also looking at uh, two of their best players in Fofana and Madison leaving as well. So it's, it doesn't seem to be a very happy camp. Uh, they, they, they were winning 2-0 today uh, and they blew that lead as well. Um, so I, I, I feel that just because of the fact, like, you know, how the trajectory of the two teams is at, at the moment. I feel Arsenal have the upper hand there. I think just one thing to be, uh, uh, like to add on the Arsenal-Leicester game, what Radha said about Palace is holds very true about Leicester as well. The worst side on set-pieces the whole of last season. I am expecting one set-piece goal next week. Okay, so interesting times ahead. Let's see who holds firm next week and who's who's got the results correct. Coming back to quiz question. Maximum number of London clubs in the Premier League in one given season. So, I'm just going to go with uh, recency here. Is it seven? Because we have seven this season. Yeah, I'm going to go with seven as well. I think my answer is eight. No, so seven is maximum in the Premier League uh, era, which is coincidentally also what we have right now. Uh, Fulham came up, but Brentford didn't go down, so we went from six to seven. So, I mean, just three away from being fifty percent. Uh, uh, any thoughts on the first division uh, teams? I'll give you bonus points if you can name the first division record teams' names as well. I'll go to my earlier guess, which failed, which is eight. Is it eight? Yeah, yeah, eight, eight is correct. And um, to ease your troubles, I'll give you the year also. This was 1989-90. So this is just two years before uh, the PL started. So eight names you have to come up with London-based teams uh, who played in the first division that season. I mean, start with the obvious ones. Yeah, I'll start with the obvious ones. So Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham Hotspur and West Ham. Uh, the next, Sorry, so uh, you, you the next wait, 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 wait. So you got would... three correct so far. So Chelsea, Spurs, Arsenal, correct, not West Ham. So you you're now looking for five answers. Palace. Correct. So Palace is another. So you halfway there. Wimbledon. Yep, that was the one I was thinking might be a tough one to get because uh, 
they've also changed form now but yeah wimbledon is correct as well so three more to go fuller uh, no unfortunately not that was the yoyo season when they were in the championship <laughs> Okay, Portsmouth. Portsmouth in London. Oh, wow. Sorry. <laughs> what about? Is it? Is it? I'm, what about QPR? Is it Charlton? Is it Charlton? Yes. Q- correct. No. Correct. Both of you are correct. So QPR as well as Charlton. So we're now just left with one name, and uh, then we're all covered. So seven down, one to go. I had actually thought that Wimbledon would be the toughest, but uh, sorry, RK, what did you say? Uh, well, Brentford up that no, season. No, Brentford came up to the first flight for the first time last season after 1947. So probably something to do with India's independence. Let's see. Okay, one name still to go. Is there? Can you can it's, you give us a hint it's, on the? It's 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 a local rival of a big London club, obviously. That goes without Millwall. saying. Correct. Yep. So the final answer is Millwall. Ah. So those were the eight clubs. And interestingly enough, that season also had 20 teams. So that was a full 40% uh, head count of the Premier League uh, of the first division playing in London. So 56 London derbies that season. Quite a lot. Probably been easier for um, the spectators to follow their teams. Just taking the tram rather than going by train. So that brings us to the end of uh, this episode. Uh, when we next meet, uh, we would have had the second game week uh, in the rearview mirror. Let's see what this brings. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next week. Have a good night. Bye. <laughs>